the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week I'm joined by Arthur Beasley of the Irish Times to discuss Chinese interest in our immigrant investor programme and to Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times about the impact of rising interest rates and a slowdown in construction on the housing market. But first to the issue of cash for visas. For the past decade or so, certain foreign nationals have been able to apply for residency in the state if they stump up cash for investment in the economy here. This has led to huge interest from wealthy Chinese citizens. Arthur Beasley reported this week on a spike in applications from the country amid speculation that the scheme could be closed off. I began by asking Arthur to explain how the Immigrant Investor Programme actually works. So the Immigrant Investor Programme was set up 10 years ago by the government in 2012. And it essentially allows people who come from outside of the European economic area, that's the EU, plus Norway, plus Iceland and Liechtenstein, to gain Irish residency by providing an investment of at least €1 million in an Irish company, an approved Irish company, an Irish investment fund, or by making an investment of at least €2 million in a real estate investment trust. There's also an option to make an endowment for half a million euro for the benefit of arts, education or culture. In an endowment, you provide the money. There's no expectation of an investment return. Uh, Clearly, with an investment, the money is provided in the uh, anticipation on the part of the investor that they will get a return at the end of the investment period. In the IIP programme, the investment period is usually for three years. Now, Arthur, you were reporting earlier this week that there's huge Chinese interest in this programme. Uh, And particularly this year, there's been a huge spike in the number of applications from there. What's going on? Well, the sense has been that um, ever since the programme was introduced, that a great number of Chinese uh, applications have been received and that this was where most of the uh, successful applications were based. Now, what has happened since the start of the year, in the first nine months of 2022, is that these applications from China have surged. Several hundred have been received in excess of 700 in fact, since uh, between January and September. And this is attributed by people who, who know about these things to a sense that, that, that went around that uh, the government was on the point of scrapping the scheme because it had initiated a formal review, uh, made it clear that the scheme was under review, and there was a sense, certainly among certain people, that the thing was going to be wound down. Now, I think the greater expectation at this point is that the scheme is more likely to be refined. But notwithstanding that, we've had uh, this huge surge in interest from potential Chinese applicants uh, in excess of 700 received. That's essentially three times the number received from China in the full 12 months of 2021. Yeah, it's very interesting, Arthur. Why do you think so many Chinese, wealthy Chinese, are looking to come to Ireland? Just wondering if the security crackdown, for example, in Hong Kong, has anything to do with it? Or maybe there are other reasons. What are people telling you? Well, there's certainly a sense that um, that there is interest from people in Hong Kong, particularly in light of the the, the crackdown. The figures that uh, were provided by the Department of Justice don't break down the Chinese applications as between different parts of China. So it doesn't state that that there are people from uh, Hong Kong as opposed to from mainland China. But there's also... It is also true that any money 
put into uh, approved Irish schemes in this way essentially is taken out of China, put into Ireland. And were there to be any kind of clampdown in an increasingly autocratic China on private wealth, well, clearly that would be the money here would be out of the clutches of anyone that was uh, embarking down that road in China. Yeah, now we should say this is for residency, right? It's not for passports. I think we, we, we had some controversy many, many years ago uh, around uh, Irish passports being doled out to people who were willing to invest um, large sums of money here. And the EU is cracking down on um, these kind of passport for investment schemes as well. So um, what are the terms of the, the residency? If somebody is granted this, how long can they live here and what exactly can they do? Well, I mean, if, 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 you, if you have residency, well, then you're entitled to, to live in the country. Um, you're not obliged to live in the country, but you cer- certainly have the right to come here. Essentially, it, uh, this gives a way uh, for people outside the European economic area to take up residence in the country um, in a scenario where they would have to receive uh, a visa to come and, lo- and live and work here otherwise. So it's essentially, it's an easier way of gaining residency without having to go through the uh, conventional procedure where people would seek a, a visa, um, give, giving them the right to live and work here. And for how long? Well, the investment is for three years, but uh, the, I think the sense is that there's an opportunity for those investments to roll over for, for a longer period. Okay. And how do we compare with other countries uh, who might be offering uh, similar schemes? And why, why are so many Chinese interested in Ireland? Or maybe, maybe there's lots of Chinese interest in other countries as well. I think Ireland is, is, is simply one of many countries offering uh, such a scheme. There's a well-developed system in the United States. There's a system in the United Kingdom, Canada as well, apparently. It is the fact that a lot of people have grown very, very wealthy in China's economic ascent in the last 30 years. And um, by putting money into uh, a scheme such as this one, um, you get the money out of the country. Interesting that the money is being spent on a whole variety of uh, areas. For example, I mean, people mightn't realise this, but some of the money apparently has gone into social housing. Uh, You mentioned the property REITs. Uh, Some of it, uh, it seems, has gone into nursing homes and hospitals. Uh, Some of it's gone to charities, etc. That's true. However, the Department of Justice has declined to reveal who the beneficiaries are in any, any of these investments that are made public, they're not made public by the Department of Justice. So it is difficult to determine where exactly the money has gone. However, what is clear is that the, the net amount raised since the scheme was introduced uh, is in excess of £1.3 Now, quite how the investments, those investments have performed is another question. That is, that is not clear. Right. So we don't know uh, what kind of returns the Chinese might be making on this? No, no, not at all. Now, I mean, the, to participate, you have to have a net personal wealth of at least 2 million euro. There are, uh, there are some, people, some, some people who would say that uh, perhaps the threshold should be set a little bit higher. 2 million euro is uh, it's a lot of money. Uh, if you do not have it, but in the, the millionaire world, in the world of multi-millionaires and billionaires, uh, it's not an exceedingly large amount. Cliff Taylor, at a time when we have a forecast budget surplus, I, I think it's £12 billion for this year and £7 billion that the government is uh, penciling in for next year. Do we need to be raising money in this kind of uh, fashion? It feels almost a little grubby. 
Yeah, probably not, Kieran. I, I would think you could see the argument for introducing this back in 2012 when the country was was on its knees financially and in desperate need of, of, of foreign cash. As Arthur said, a lot of money has come in. In the meantime, I'm sure some of it has gone to, to good use. We don't know, as Arthur said, exactly exactly where it has gone and what projects it's been invested in. But yeah, I think there there would be questions now about whether the scheme should continue. No shortage of, of money around, no shortage of, of, of state money. And in fact, I guess the problem with some markets or controversy in some markets, such as the housing market, is, is, is foreign money coming in and pushing out Irish investors, if you like. So yeah, it's probably time to, to have a look at this again, I would have thought. Well, I mean, the fact is, I mean, the, the thing has been under review. The review is complete, but the Department of Justice won't say what the conclusions of the review were. Now, um, the sense is it is going to be refined. That's the word used. Um, I imagine it's going to be tightened a little bit, the criteria for access. But the sense that the thing was going to be scrapped entirely, that seems to be inaccurate at this point. But I suppose we await whatever is stated in the review. We said that, that that body of work has yet to be published. And we don't really know when the government is going to reach any decision on this. Why the secrecy around the review's recommendations, Arthur? I think it's still there for political decision in terms of what the government is going to do. It seems unlikely at this point that anything's going to happen before Christmas. There's going to be a 2023 thing. The review's been ongoing for uh, several years. There was a phase one of the review. Now there's a phase two. It is complete. Uh, we don't really know when precisely uh, the report went in. Uh, but what is clear is that uh, a decision does not really seem to be imminent right now. And is there any political pressure from the opposition benches to scrap this? I, I don't gauge any a, a massive groundswell in that in that direction. Um, but the fact of a, of a review being signalled, the fact of the terms of reference being set out, clearly there is something underway, and clearly this huge surge of applications from China uh, would lead you to believe that rather a lot of people have formed the view that something was coming down the tracks and that they should uh, get the skids on uh, in terms of making an application. Yeah, okay, we'll see how that plays out. Let's move to the economy. Cliff Taylor, some bad news, I suppose, this week. More bad news, if you like. If you're trying to buy a house, get on the property ladder or maybe you're looking to switch houses. Um, Gabriel McClough stating that he sees a minimum half a percentage rise later this month when the ECB makes its uh, next announcement on interest rates. That will go on top of the two interest rate increases we've had already since the summer. And in addition to that, the BPFI put out a report uh, again this week suggesting that uh, house prices are likely to continue to grow uh, for the foreseeable future. And that's in part driven by the lack of supply. And we know that uh, construction on housing here has uh, slowed somewhat uh, certainly in the third quarter compared to a year earlier. So really just more bad news for anybody looking to buy a house, isn't it? Yeah, the squeeze continues, Kieran. I guess. And I mean, the interest rate thing is very striking. Really looking at, at this month's uh, European Central Bank meeting, it would be good news, I suppose, in inverted commas, if the increase was only 0.5%, because a lot of the more hawkish members of the ECB Council have been arguing for a 075 increase uh, in interest rates, uh, which obviously would be even worse for borrowers. So, so, I mean, where we are at the moment, we've come from a position where the ECB's deposit rate, which it sees as its kind of key rate, has gone from minus 0.5% earlier this year to 1.5% now. 
and uh, it's what it's called its refinancing rate. In other words, the rate at which from which track our mortgages are priced off, if you like, has gone from zero to two percent. So you know we are looking at another increase in December. There's no question about that. The only question is whether it's a half or three quarters. The market kind of thinks it, it might be a half now, given uh, the recent economic signals and the, you know some possibility that inflation might be peaking out, albeit at high levels. But the ECB board members have been out. Uh, a few of them have been out recently saying, look, we've more to do here. Inflation is still way too high. It's spread right through the economy. Uh, and if we don't get a handle on it now, uh, you know, the cost of not doing so is greater than the cost of doing so quickly. It's a tricky position for them because... Nobody really has a clue what's going to happen to inflation next year. There is a possibility that, you know, the inflation rate could fall really quickly next year if energy prices ease off a bit. And there has been an easier trend in energy prices over the last few weeks now. You know, who knows what the January and February, the real real winter months might bring. Clearly, we don't know what's going to happen in the war uh, and and the whole issue of, of gas supplies. But the weaning off from Russia of European gas supplies has been quicker and probably more successful than expected. So there is a possibility that that, that that energy prices are going to ease off and not be quite as extreme next year. But nonetheless, the ECB is going to stick to it at the moment. So we'll have at least 2.5% by the end of the year. I would suspect that they'll try and get to 3% before too long in terms of their refinancing rate. That'll be 2.5% in, uh, in terms of the deposit rate. And maybe that's a level then when they might hold off for a bit and, and see how things look moving into spring next year. Yeah, and equally concerning is the slowdown in construction and supply coming onto the market cliff. Yeah, the two are linked, of course. If you're looking to invest in building houses here, people are worried about, you know, investors are worried now about demand because uh, it's clearly, you know, affordability is going to become even tighter next year as interest rates go up. And notwithstanding the fact the central bank have eased their rules a bit. And there's something else happening in the market now, which is that big international investors, which have driven apartment building here in particular, now have other places they can invest uh, safely and and you know get a decent return. So no, you can go out in the international markets now, get a get a get a buy a government bond at whatever two and a half three percent. Looking at the American market at the moment, so the bar, if you like, for investing in in projects here has has risen, and I think that's that's a worrying thing for the government. There is talk now that you know there are some of the big apartment developments that are underway. There, there could be issues about finishing them out. Certainly issues about starting new ones. You'd hope that most of the projects already underway will be finished next year. That will give some momentum to supply in the first half of next year. But there's no doubt the government's facing a challenge there. And I think they're going to have to get their boots in even deeper in the housing market and start to look at how they, how they finance uh, the system, how a lot of the projects that are started already get finished and how they try and keep commencements up moving through next year, particularly for the social and affordable sector, which is uh, you know, a, a growing sector of the market, given the affordability issues. Yeah, I mean, Leo Varadkar takes over as Taoiseach next week. I'm not sure if there's going to be any, any added impetus as a result of him being in the Taoiseach's chair as opposed to uh, Micheál Martin. Uh, have you any sense uh, whether the... The housing ministry might change as well. Dara Bryan of Fianna Fáil, of course, uh, currently occupies that role. I don't have a sense of that, no, but I think it's really interesting what happens there. Clearly, there's party politics at play here as well as uh, as well as everything else. And, uh, you know, to some extent, do you want your party to to be in control of that? And the biggest issue facing the government and maybe take kudos for, for 
for starting to sort things out or, or, or is it seen politically now as a hot potato uh, and something to which you know a lot of blame is going to be attached over the next couple of years. So no, I, I don't have a sense of that. I think it's going to be one of the really kind of key decisions to be made uh, over the next few weeks. I mean, there's a lot of rumbling in government about what should be done. Um, talk about tax incentives uh, being reintroduced to help builders get projects finished or start new projects. Uh, talk of VAT on uh, new housing being dropped, uh, and talk of the state, you know, spending yet more money, if you like, on on, on getting projects, getting projects started and done, and getting in even deeper in the market. And of course, we still await uh, the publication of the uh, planning review by the Attorney General. Bits of it have, have come out, and, and and we've been promised a planning court now for uh, for some months. But we really have to see, I think, some momentum behind all this really quickly. You know, as Arthur's been writing about Board Pranala, it's in chaos. There's been some new appointments there, but, you know, there's a huge question about resourcing there and right through the court system, never mind finding all the builders and, uh, and, and, and the cash to get projects done. So there's a real question of getting things together now, I think, and trying to make a last push in this, uh, in this government's time because if houses aren't started now, in the next few months, they're not going to be finished by the time the next general election comes. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Arthur, you've been writing about on board Planola now for a number of months. It's uh, facing a lot of issues. A number of senior people have left. What's the latest state of play there? I think there's a sense that people are, that uh, the situation is in a, almost in abeyance. Uh, we await the appointment of new members to what will be an enlarged board of on board Planola. New chairwoman is uh, on her way in. Um, essentially with a mandate to uh, fix the organisation. I think the reality is the organisation under new management will soon be under new planning legislation as well. As Cliff says, that is that is in gestation for a good many months. The sense is that Darrell O'Brien, the, the housing minister, will bring that legislation to Cabinet uh, next week. But then there's a the whole process of getting it through the Dáil and Shannon. So uh, quite when it is up and running uh, is a little bit unclear. I think what is clear is that uh, by the time uh, any of this gets sorted, interest rates will still be at a very elevated level. Even if the rates continue to go up, it's going to be a long time before uh, there's any suggestion that the ECB will be cutting interest rates. So we're, we're into a new dimension, so to speak. And the, I mean, if, if the core problem on this inflation issue is um, inflation generally, the fact is that construction price inflation is at, uh, is at rates greatly in excess of the general inflation rate, that in turn adds to the cost of construction, adds to the purchase price and just adds to the strain on the market in a scenario where the government is wedded to the idea that it's going to be able to build at least 30,000 homes each year. Cliff, is NIMBYism a problem in the Irish housing market, uh, as in not in my backyard? Uh, Keith Lowe was writing a piece of uh, estate agents uh, D&G um, for us earlier in the week, uh, stating that uh, every major application now for planning permission for a housing development faces uh, seems to face a legal challenge, and that's you know obviously adding a lot of time uh, to the whole process of getting that application through if it does get through, and adds to the costs. 
Yeah, I mean, clearly there needs to be a planning process and clearly some projects need to go through proper assessment and local people need to be have a vehicle to express their concerns and have them considered as part of that process. But it's just got to a ridiculous stage really now uh, when you look at some of the projects. For example, uh, the one out in St. Paul's in Rohini has been in court multiple times now and gone through a number of planning reviews and now Dublin Corporation uh, have have decided that it's you know it shouldn't go ahead because the um, the developers uh, didn't show that they had uh, taken proper consideration for uh, the feeding ground of Brent geese that feed on Bull Island um, over uh, over the winter months. Not that this was a, definitely going to be a problem, but it hadn't been properly taken into account in the planning process. Then uh, your colleague or our colleague Mark Paul has been writing about big development, one of the biggest in the state out in Donabate, which is also caught up now in the planning system and is going to face another review. And as I said, you know, it's correct that the projects are properly assessed and amended and that proper solutions are reached in terms of the planning process, but we just can't take so long to do it. Uh, the process does take an extraordinary amount of time and gives rights to people who don't have a particular vested interest in the situation to object. You know, they don't have to live close by. Uh, they don't have to be a party to a kind of a recognised environmental body or, or whatever. And as Arthur said, the planning legislation uh, due, uh, due to be proposed, I think that's one of the things that would be likely to be addressed in it. But if you talk to builders... If you talk to people in business, if you talk to people in industry, if you talk to people who are, you know, involved in attracting investment here, everyone is tearing their hair out now about this, just the length of time it takes to get things done. Whatever about the building, whatever about the costs of building, just making a decision on whether we should build in the first place, it's just way too lengthy a process. What's the solution, Cliff? It's just got to be, uh, it's just all got to be much more, uh, much more streamlined, Kieran. You know, I don't claim to have a solution in my back pocket that, that would fix it immediately. But I, I suppose the, f the first thing is to accept that this is going to take four or five years to fix rather than, rather than looking for quick fixes because the, there aren't any, because houses just take time to build. And then looking for a properly resourced, properly funded planning system with the planning court, with enough people in Board Planola. And you're talking about, you know, when you consider that Board Planola are going to have to look at all the big environmental projects coming on stream as well. You're talking about a multiplication of resources. You're not talking about a few extra people. You're talking about recognizing this as an emergency, as some of the most important stuff the state is going to have to deal with over the next few years. We have a wad of money sitting in the, in the national bank account. We have 27 billion in cash reserves. I'm not suggesting we should spend all that, but we have to look at ways of deploying that to just resource the system that deals with all this and allow it to happen much more quickly and to change the rules while maintaining a balance between uh, between the two sides. It just it just all seems to get stuck. I mean, we had Francis Ruan of the Competitiveness uh, Council writing in the paper uh, today making this point um, that if we don't get this planning thing sorted, we're not going to meet our housing goals. We're not going to meet our climate goals. We're not going to meet our infrastructure goals. It is just something we have to we have to get better at. Arthur, given the difficulties of Onboard Planola this year, is this the moment maybe when the government should look at scrapping it and replacing it with another body or restructuring it or resourcing it uh, in a different way? I think there's a sense that, that it is going to be certainly overhauled. There's even a sense that the uh, it might be rebadged with a new name, so to speak, um, certainly operating under a new statute. 
I think part of this problem goes right back to the start of the housing crisis as the economy turned in the wake of the crash. Um, we weren't building enough houses, the population was growing, we had more people uh, going back to work, and we had uh, this the introduction of fast-track planning, where essentially you had the local authority cut out of the planning procedure for large-scale uh, housing developments, and that was what led to this welter, this cascade of court cases in the in the High Court, because judicial review was the only way to appeal against a planning approval. And only now are we getting to the other side of that, if you like, a kind of a new a new legislation has been introduced. But the fact is that the kind of the fast track planning as introduced several years ago has turned out to be anything but. And it's actually instead of bringing planning into the fast lane, it took it into the slow lane. Cliff, just wondering if there's any other uh, country that you know of um, that does planning better than Ireland, uh, Britain, for example. I mean, what's the experience there? Have they better systems than we have here? Yes, interestingly, the UK is going through pretty much exactly the same debate as Ireland in relation to planning. And only this week, uh, the Prime Minister was forced to back down on a promise to set binding targets uh, for local councils in the UK for house building in the years ahead because of opposition uh, from his own backbenchers, uh, particularly those in the richer Tory shires who have constituents who don't want uh, large new housing developments in uh, in their towns and villages. Uh, so rather than being mandatory in future, uh, it looks like uh, these new guidelines will only be advisory. And the debate, the Labour Party in the UK, of course, are attacking this, saying uh, that the young people of Britain are being abandoned. I mean, one interesting tactic they've used in the UK is in London, uh, where transport in London, the body that's responsible for uh, tubes and buses, is it is in itself now a really big property developer, one of the biggest in London. Not only commercial property, uh, retail and industrial around its uh, its stations of the lands it, it owns, but also increasingly house building. And it has plans to build uh, and has been mandated to build significant numbers of houses on the land it owns over the next 10 years to try and ease the uh, the housing squeeze in, in the capital in the UK. And a lot of these will be affordable homes. Uh, so in other words, they will be on rents uh, set by the uh, Mayor of London, which are generally kind of around, currently around half market rents. So here's a way to get a body, to get a new energy, to get new building into the market, to get a body that has the land, and is given some finance uh, and a property arm, and just gets on, uh, gets on and does it. Arthur, you'd have to think that the the priority at this point, facing into what is likely to be a difficult year, is to seek to ride out the storm and to continue building, to continue kind of starting projects, uh, even in a scenario where the costs are going up, where the funding costs are going up, and to not bring construction to a halt. That is the seeds of prolongation of the crisis because if, you, if, if, if construction stops, well, then you only make the thing worse down the line. That, it seems to me, is going to be the priority. One of the big issues to be solved in, in, in that light is um, who's going to pay for it? Because I think there's a funding gap going to appear now. International money is leaving because it's safer places to go and, and it's, it's got a lot out of the Irish economy at the moment. 
you know, a lot of the big funds will, will stay here, but but fresh money will be slow to come in. As Arthur said, costs are going up, so domestic builders are finding it more difficult. Some of the bigger ones will keep going and, and will do fine, but I think a lot of the smaller builders will get squeezed. And we only have maybe half a dozen really big builders in this country. So I think there's a gap there. There's a funding gap and there's a capability gap over the next couple of years. And that's the real issue for the government uh, to see, kind of, kind of close that. But Cliff, wasn't the Land Development Authority supposed to help bridge that gap? Absolutely, yeah. It was to build on state lands, presumably with state money, or at least a lot of state money. And um, it was going to have the resources and flexibility and, and all of that to uh, really you know, roll up their sleeves, get stuck in. Yeah, it's it, it is getting going and it's getting involved in projects. Uh, it's get caught it's got caught up in the in a lot of them with the with the same planning issues that we've been talking about. But I think there's no doubt now that it's going to have a really central role in what happens uh, over the next two or three years. And look, there are still huge state-owned land banks right across the country, right across Dublin. Um, there's a lot of potential there. You know, you drive through Donnybrook and there's a big bus uh, bus terminus on your left. Uh, you know, what could be built there? Why is that not being developed uh, over the last decade uh, with, with houses close to the city centre, close to public transport links? You know, the buses can park somewhere else, uh, give the give the good land, the, the, the well-located land and, and build houses on it, find a way to do it. Yeah, actually, I think that, that is something that Dublin Bus um, are, are exploring. They've been exploring it for a long time, Kieran. They have, they have. You need to get past the exploration stage. The bus station is a protected structure. Yeah, I was going to say that, yeah. Well, the roof, I think, the roof is, is a protected um, structure. Mind you, that's only over parts of the station. There's a big uh, land bank there, so there might be some um, there might be some way around it. And maybe you can build under the roof as well, and that's, that's a, another option. All right, I think we'll leave it there, gentlemen. Uh, Cliff Taylor and Arthur Beasley of the Irish Times, thank you for joining us. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Arthur Beasley and Cliff Taylor. The show was produced by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.